Does the death of Jesus on the cross affect how we treat others? Trent Griffiths says it should. The greatest disciple serves those who are powerless, poor, and oppressed. The greatest church preaches a gospel that creates humble servants sent to those that need grace the most. The greatest nation builds its policies into laws that protect and make provision for those who are under-resourced and most vulnerable. Because in humility, we understand we don't deserve anything. And it's that posture of humility that allows us to live out the cross of Christ to a world that knows nothing of true greatness. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. So do you ever look around at the injustice and cruelty of the world and think, how can we fix this? The government tries to fix it, don't they? Activists offer their solutions, and yet still the problems rage on. Today, Pastor Trent continues in the Gospel of Luke. He says there are some important things that we can learn from Jesus about how to solve the hatred and violence that's all around us. Here's Pastor Trent. I really want to encourage you right now to get your Bibles open to Luke chapter 22. And if you've been a part of this series, you understand that we've been in this about a year and a half, almost two years now, and we're coming into the final three chapters of the Gospel of Luke. And everything in Luke, actually everything in the Bible is leading up to the climactic point of Jesus going to the cross. And so we've entitled this series, Lead Me to the Cross. If you're a follower of Jesus or if you're contemplating becoming a follower of Jesus, you have to know that following Jesus means you follow Him to the cross. In Luke chapter 9, the writer of the Gospel of Luke records a statement that Jesus makes. He says, if anyone wishes to be my disciple, he must take up his cross daily and follow me to the cross. And so today's a new day, which means we get up, we grab the cross, and we follow Jesus to the place of the cross. Of course, if you're a follower of Christ, you know that the cross is the place where the judgment of God met the sin of man in Jesus. Jesus atoned for our sin. He died in my place as a substitute on that cross for all who will repent and believe. He was raised to new life so that all those who will repent and believe can know Him and have eternal peace with the Father. Of course, there's a national conversation going on right now that is about race and injustice. And as a Christian, you need to understand that you have no grid to even interpret injustice unless you daily go to the cross where the ultimate act of injustice took place. And so it's so essential that we go to the cross and we hear what Jesus would teach us there at the cross. A few weeks ago, I invited you on a journey in lamenting the injustices that we're seeing in the world and listening and learning. And one of my greatest burdens as a pastor is that so many people who identify with Christ are being discipled more by cable news 
and talk radio and social media than actually going to the cross of Christ to learn what Christ would have to say. Well, today we're going to do that. We're going to hear the voice of Jesus teach us something about how to live in light of all that's going on in our culture. Before we dive into it, I want to invite you into another scene. I want you to invite, I want to invite you into the third grade classroom of Pastor Trent. Now, as an eight-year-old there at Woodland Hills Elementary School, I have a very distinct memory of a math lesson that I was receiving there while I was introduced to new symbols to help me correctly understand numbers. And I was introduced to this symbol. Do you know what this symbol is all about? Does everybody understand this? Can you remember back to third grade? This is what we call the greater than symbol. Now, I was also introduced on that day to this symbol. This is the lesser than symbol. And I remember my very limited third grade brain trying to figure out how am I going to remember which direction this thing goes when I am comparing greater or lesser than numbers. And it was not until Mrs. Pierce drew in the teeth of an alligator that I understood that the alligator always wants to eat the greater meal. And that fixed it for me. Never had a problem from that point on with math when it was talking about greater than and less than. Now, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, what I've understood is that sometimes disciples don't do a very good job of understanding what Jesus considers greater than. When we begin to compare ourselves with others, when we begin to compare greatness, worldly greatness, to kingdom greatness, so often we get it wrong and we think that this is greater than that. And what we're going to learn from Luke chapter 22 today is a new lesson because in the lesson Jesus teaches us, He turns greater than upside down and reorients our thinking and redefines our understanding of greater than and less than. You see, there's something so broken in our hearts, every human heart. There's something so broken that I tend to think of myself greater than others. I think about my interest being greater than others. I think about my value being greater than the value of others. I think about my opinions being greater than the opinions of others, my perspective, my views, greater than others. Not only do that as an individual, do you know what we tend to do? We tend to expand the scope and we think of our family greater than others. And you expand that a little further and pretty soon you're into a people group being considered greater than others. And if you are in a majority culture like I am, it is very easy for our default thinking to think that those in the majority culture are greater than those in the minority culture. And now we're beginning to see the spillover of what's happening in our culture. And when we go to the cross, our understanding of greater than and less than changes under the teaching of 
Jesus. So let's begin to read here in Luke chapter 22. The first thing that I want you to see is this. The closer I get to the cross, the more Jesus changes my definition of greatness. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 24. A dispute also rose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Now remember, we're picking up this scene immediately after or maybe even at the table of the Lord's Supper. And while Jesus is predicting that in the next 24 hours He is going to perform the greatest act of self-sacrifice and self-denial and humility, the disciples started debate about which one of them is the greatest. Now, 12 disciples, and like us, they had a tendency to like greater and lesser than arguments. They wanted to rank themselves 1 to 12, debating which one was number 1. Verse 25 says, He, Jesus, said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. This is not the way disciples think. At least they shouldn't think this way. So Jesus begins to redefine their definitions of greatness. Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. This is where we get the concept of servant leadership. Verse 27. For who is greater? So now here's the math equation. Who is greater? The one who reclines at table or the one who serves? And he answers it based on the worldly definition. Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom, in my kingdom, and sit on thrones and judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jesus turns their definition of greater than and less than upside down. Now, hopefully, we don't make the same mistake that these disciples make. In beginning to compare ourselves, who's greater than? Those who watch online, those who gather in person, those who wear a mask, those who choose not to wear a mask. That's when we begin to get in trouble as disciples because our value and our worth and our dignity is not based on worldly definitions of greatness. The world defines greatness based on your test scores and your net worth and your athletic ability and your attractiveness and your Instagram followers and the square footage of your home and a million other things that will have zero value in the kingdom of God. Jesus wants us to understand the true definition of greatness. Now, now please understand... In this passage, Jesus does not rebuke the disciples for wanting to achieve greatness. I hope you want to be a great disciple. I want to be a great disciple. 
But in order to become a great disciple, you have to understand the true definition, the kingdom definition of greatness. The desire to be great is God-given. There should be something in your soul that wants to achieve and pursue greatness. The problem is that most humans pursue it in a God-forbidden way. A God-given desire to be great pursued with God-forbidden ways ends up hurting other people. It's sinful, and it's at the very root of all the issues that we're seeing in our culture right now. Ambition is not the enemy of humility. Selfish ambition is the enemy of humility. And so there should be a God-given pursuit and desire for greatness pursued with incredible humility because Jesus equates the two. Sin has rewired our hearts to pursue greatness in ways that trample others in the pursuit of our own greatness. But in in going to the cross with Jesus, He redefines our definition of greatness. He redirects our pathway to greatness. The pathway to greatness is paved with service, humility, and sacrifice. And Jesus modeled that for us. J.C. Ryle is a a preacher from the previous century, and he said it in a way that I can't improve on. So I want to read to you what he said about this passage. He said, The hero in Christ's army is not the man who has rank and title and dignity and chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. It is the man who looks not on his own things, but the things of others. It is the man who is kind to all, tender to all, thoughtful of all, with a hand to help all, and a heart to feel for all. It is a man who spends and is spent to make the vice and the misery of the world less, to bind up the brokenhearted, to befriend the friendless, to cheer the sorrowful, to enlighten the ignorant, and to raise the poor. This is the truly great man in the eyes of God. The world may ridicule his labors and deny his sincerity of motives, but while the world is sneering, God is pleased. This is the man who is walking most closely in the steps of Christ. And without going to the cross, without humbling yourself, embracing self-denial and self-sacrifice, we will step on others, we will exalt ourselves And we will pursue sinful, worldly passions in order to be great in the eyes of the world. Please understand, the cross teaches us there are no individuals, no groups, and no races that are greater than others. Jesus brings us to a place where we humble ourselves And those of us that have success and achievement and education and power and wealth and money in this world, we understand that God gives us those things to help others, not to exercise superiority as we compare ourselves 
to others, to feel greater or superior in comparison to another person because of your skin color or your family of origin or your heritage or your personal achievement is sinful and it must be crucified at the cross. If that's your attitude, you don't understand the cross. And Jesus invites you to come with Him to the cross. As your pastor, I invite you to come to the cross and see the place of humility and love and sacrifice where the greatest, ultimate person in all the universe did not think of Himself as superior, but laid His life down for His friends. I don't know about you, if you live in the Granger, Mishawaka, South Bend area, you've noticed that our community has been putting in roundabouts where there used to be stop signs and intersections. Have you noticed this? And uh, I don't know, it's taken a few years now for people to actually figure out how to get through these things without running into one another. Uh, I remember I used to pull up to a stop sign and you just kind of size each other up and it's like, should I go? Should you go? And maybe your car's more expensive, so maybe you should go. Or maybe your car's bigger, could crush my car, you should go. And we would, we would defer to one another a little bit and sometimes we would not get that right either. But roundabouts are so much more easy to navigate. You don't even have to stop if you know what you're doing. You don't have to run into each other. You just kind of merge and you move together. This is what it looks like when we go to the cross and we don't consider somebody else greater than or less than others. We're just all moving in traffic together. The intersection of every human being with another human being is an opportunity to do one of two things. If in that moment that you meet that other human being, you feel superior, you size each other up, it's just natural, I mean, just look, it's like, am I smarter, prettier, more influential, older, stronger, and, and we just do this, it's, it's part of our broken fallenness. In that moment, if you feel superior, you have one of two choices. You can either begin to control the other person or you can serve the other person. If in that moment, there's a worldly greatness that you have. You can use that worldly greatness either to control or to serve the one who is less than. And the greatest disciple always chooses to serve according to Jesus. But there's another temptation. In that moment, when you intersect with another human being and you begin to size the other person up, you're like, I think I'm inferior. I may be in the minority culture here. I... I I, I, I may not be the smartest or the prettiest. In that moment, you have one of two choices. You have the opportunity either to flee because you feel unsafe, or you have the opportunity to learn. And for those of us that are in a majority culture, it's an opportunity to open the door and lift up and empower others. The cross is the ultimate place and the ultimate picture where we see true kingdom greatness. The one with the greatest power, Jesus. The one with the greatest wealth, infinite wealth, infinite influence. Do you know what he did? He chose to humble himself in service to make those who were inferior great. He lifted us up. It's a daily encounter with the cross of Christ that has two effects on those who desire true greatness. 
Do you desire true greatness? You need a daily encounter with the cross and you'll, it'll, that cross will have two effects on your life. Number one, the cross crucifies self-exalting, people-oppressing pursuits of greatness. And number two, the cross inspires us to spend whatever worldly greatness we have to make others great. Now, based on that, where do you rank as a disciple? Jesus turns our definition of greatness upside down. You want to be great in the kingdom? I want to be great in the kingdom. I want you to be great in the kingdom. So how can we achieve that? Real quickly, I want to give you just 10 contrasts between worldly greatness and kingdom greatness. And I want to challenge you right now. Do not attempt to write this down. You'll get mad at me because I'm going to go way too fast for you to write it down. But just 10 contrasts here. And this is what makes great dads. This is what makes great pastors. This is what makes great presidents and great employers and great husbands and great leaders and great bosses. Those with worldly greatness desire to be served. They want everybody else waiting on them, bringing them the stuff at the table, doing everything for them. But those who achieve kingdom greatness are driven to serve others. Those with worldly greatness, they have a desire to be a success in the eyes of the world. But those with kingdom greatness desire to make others a success. Those with worldly greatness feel superior when they compare themselves with others. Those with kingdom greatness feel the need for mercy and grace in comparison to the holiness of God. Those with worldly greatness use their power to protect their position. Those with kingdom greatness use their power to protect and empower others. Those with worldly greatness gravitate toward people in power. Those with kingdom greatness gravitate toward people in need. Those with worldly greatness are quick to share how much they know. I mean, they're real quick to tell you everything that they think and their opinions and their solutions and what they think the problem is. Those with kingdom greatness are overwhelmed with how much they still have to learn. Those with kingdom greatness are defensive when criticized. They put up walls because they don't want to feel inferior. But those with kingdom greatness invite criticism as an opportunity to grow. Those with worldly greatness have a critical spirit that detects problems. Those with kingdom greatness are critical thinkers who offer solutions. Those with worldly greatness think this way. This church is so privileged to have me. Those with kingdom greatness think this way. I don't deserve how richly I've been blessed by the ministries of this church. What a privilege to serve. It's a wonder they would want me at all. And finally, those with worldly greatness turn away from God when they experience trials. Why is that? Because they're so great. I don't deserve 
to go through this. God, why am I sick? Why did I lose my job? Don't you know how great I am? Don't you exist, God? You, you exist to serve me. And because they don't have a proper theology of trial, they don't understand when bad things happen to them because in their mind, they don't deserve it. They're so great. But for those with kingdom greatness, they turn toward God in trials. They don't wonder why bad things happen to good people. They wonder why anything good happens at all. Because in humility, we understand we don't deserve anything. And it's that posture of humility that allows us to live out the cross of Christ to a world that knows nothing of true greatness. The greatest disciple serves those who are powerless, poor, and oppressed. The greatest church preaches a gospel that creates humble servants sent to those that need grace the most. The greatest nation builds its policies into laws that protect and make provision for those who are under-resourced and most vulnerable. The last thing that Jesus says here in verse 30, it's, it's kind of interesting. He's telling these heady disciples that they've stayed with him in the trial, and then he promises that he's going to give them a kingdom, and they are going to sit on thrones. It's amazing. Do you see what he's saying? If you will humble yourself and become a servant in this world, no act of service will ever be unrewarded in the next. You want true greatness in the next, in the, in the next life, in the kingdom of God? Then use your opportunity, your power, your influence, and your worldly greatness to serve so you can be great in the kingdom of God. Well, those are inspiring words from Trent Griffith of Gospel City Church. You know, ultimate solutions will only be found as they are dealt with through the cross of Christ. So it's important to view life through the lens of the gospel. And when I say gospel, I'm talking about the good news that Jesus and his death are the solution to every challenge that we face. Why? Because Jesus's death and resurrection deal with our sin. And if we can fix the sin problem that we have, we fix every other problem. Well, not only should you and I look at things through the lens of the gospel, but so should your church. And if you're looking for a gospel-centered church where God's word is proclaimed without apology, why not consider Gospel City Church? We're located in Granger, Indiana, just north of where Hickory Road crosses Cleveland Road. You can find out more information about Gospel City Church when you visit our website, mygospelcity.org. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. 
You can also find more great content when you follow us on Facebook by searching for Gospel City Church. Well, today we learned how true greatness is defined. It's through serving and being humble. Next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent will show us how Jesus modeled humility and complete surrender to his heavenly Father. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.